to Acts chapter 18, Acts chapter 18. <clears throat> the message this morning is serving in tough places, serving in tough places. Uh, there could also be another study called serving under tough people because God's places of service are not always easy and sometimes the people that we serve under or with are not easy. And uh, I think of David who served under Saul. Um, that had to be a tough job. But nonetheless, he did. And uh, God took care of all the, the necessary details and problems. But this morning, it's serving in tough places. Paul right now, uh, as we begin, is, is still on his second missionary journey. He's in Athens. And he's waiting for Timothy and Silas to join him there. And to bring, the, to bring uh, from the churches in Berea and Thessalonica reports on how it's going there. In chapter 18 here, it records the last part of Paul's second missionary journey in verses 1 through 22. And then it begins his third missionary journey in, in verse 23. After his time in Athens, he goes to Corinth. But the Bible doesn't give us any details as to why he left Athens to go to Corinth. The population in Corinth was 200,000 people. It would not be the easiest city to start a church in. But that's where Paul went after he left Athens and he went alone. Uh, it wasn't easy for Paul. But you know what? He didn't give up. And that's the whole point of the message. It's, it, again, it's, it's the point of ministry. And when God calls you, you don't give up. You don't quit. You don't throw in the towel. And that makes the difference, again, for those who are called and then those who just want to do it. Because if it's just your ambition and it's your, your muscle and your flesh and blood that want to do it, it won't be long before you quit because it won't be easy. But Paul did not give up because he knew that he was called of God. Corinth's reputation for wickedness, it was known all over the Roman Empire. And because of where Corinth was located, Corinth was a center for trade and travel. It was a center for money and depravity. Along with strange philosophies and new religions, they all came to Corinth and found a home there. Corinth was the capital of Achaia. Uh, and it was one of the two most important cities that Paul visited. The other was Ephesus. When God opens doors, we've, we've learned this for a long time. When God opened doors, Satan wants to come through them as well. When God opens doors, he will try to close them in some form. And, and, and there are times when we close those doors ourselves because we get discouraged and we quit. We give up. And as Paul ministered in Corinth... The Lord gave him the encouragement that he needed to keep him going. These same encouragements are available to us today, so mark them down as a reminder. Go to chapter 18 of Acts and, and look at it, because it's a chapter that really involves leadership. So again, he gives four encouragements that are available to us today to keep us going. Corinth was one of the most depraved and wicked cities of the ancient world. The term Corinthian came to mean immoral. To Corinthianize meant to practice whoredom or a whoremonger or a prostitute. 
Now, the Acropolis was 1,500 feet above Corinth. And it was on top of the Acropolis where the temple of Aphrodite was located. And the, Aphrodite was the goddess of love. Every evening, the temple prostitutes, 1,000 of them, who were ritual prostitutes, would come down into the city to do their thing. And when Paul got there, he was even more discouraged. After the not-so-fruitful harvest at Athens, loneliness and thought of facing this city hit him. With its business and its depravity, it explains the weakness and the fear that overwhelmed Paul when he got there and started his work. Looking at his mindset, when he first got there, Paul wrote this later on to Corinth. He said, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Physical and emotional weakness often makes discouragement even worse. But we have, the Bible says, the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort who promised never to leave us nor forsake us did not leave Paul bummed out. God encouraged him through four things that I said, that I, that I mentioned before. Through devoted friends, through success in ministry, the Lord's presence, the enemy's frustration. And again, those four things are still encouragements that we have today for ministry. These are the blessings that any discouraged servant of the Lord can hold on to for encouragement to keep going. So let's begin with verses chapter, uh, chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. And here we have the first um, means of encouragement, devoted friends. Paul had devoted friends, 1 through 5 now. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and he went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them. So, because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by, op for by op occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled or pressed by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. Paul came to Corinth after ministering to the philosophers in Athens. And Paul was determined to exalt Jesus Christ and the cross and to depend upon the Holy Spirit and present the gospel in simplicity. And because there, there were many philosophers and traveling teachers in Corinth who were preying on or taking advantage of the ignorant and superstitious, Paul's message and ministry could easily be misunderstood. They could think of him as being also one of those philosophers or traveling teachers that, that were just there like the others to, to take advantage of them. One, one way that Paul separated himself from these others, these other religious phonies, was by supporting himself. By the providence of God, Paul met a Jewish couple, Aquila and Priscilla. They were also tent makers. Now, Jewish rabbis wouldn't accept money from their students but earned their way by practicing a trade. All Jewish boys were expected to learn a trade, no matter what profession they might enter in. The rabbi said this, he who does not teach his son to work teaches him to steal. Good motto to go by. So Saul of Tarsus learned to make tents 
And he supported himself in his ministry. So again, he wouldn't take money from the people who, you hear it all the time, oh, they're all in the ministry for money. You know, that's, and it's, it's a sad thing, but there are those who have, have done that and, and given it that reputation. So Paul said, hey, hey, I'm not taking money from everybody. I'm doing this because I'm called of God and I want to do this. I'm pressed to do this. The Holy Spirit is moving me to do this. Aquila and Priscilla were a dedicated couple and they were dedicated to serving Paul faithfully and even risked their lives for him at times. They helped Paul in Ephesus where they had even uh, had church, they held church in their home. Aquila and Priscilla were an important part of Paul's missionary team and he thanked God for them. And they're a good example of how lay people just every, the, the, the average person in the body of Christ can help to carry on the work of the Lord. And remember, God makes extraordinary what is ordinary. So again, it's God doing the work. Every pastor and every missionary thanks God for people like this, like Aquila and Priscilla. Because people with hearts that are dedicated to the work of the Lord, they're hard to come by. And they offer their hands and they offer their homes to further the work of Christ. And they're always there when you need them. You know, you always know who to go to. Paul lived and worked with Aquila and Priscilla. But on the Sabbath day, Paul would go to the synagogue, as was his custom. He'd go to the synagogue and he'd preach the gospel. He'd witness there because that's why he came to Corinth. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, they brought Paul financial help. And this helped Paul so that he could give all of his time to preaching the gospel. What a joy it had to be for Paul to see his friends and to hear the good news of the dedication of the Christians in the churches that they planted together. Now, Paul was a great Christian and missionary evangelist. But I wonder how much he would have accomplished if he didn't have these people at his side. Ministry is all of us working, serving together. There are no superstars. There are no special people. Uh, They are special in God's sight. But again, we're all in it together. We're all serving together. And God uses us together as a group. Friends like Aquila and Priscilla and Silas and Timothy, the generous believers in Macedonia, they, all of them together, made it possible for Paul to do what he did. Again, nobody does it alone. All right, they made it possible for Paul to serve the Lord effectively. All right, his Christian friends, new and old, they encouraged him when he needed it the most. And this reminds us that we should encourage our friends in the work of the Lord. Paul said to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's the way Paul said it in Galatians 6.2. Humanly speaking... There would have been no church in Corinth if it wasn't for the devotion and the service of a lot of different people. The second thing that we see, second encouragement for leaders in ministry in verses 6 through 8 is success in ministry. Success in ministry. Let's look at verses 6 through 8. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and he said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. Paul says, I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. 
And he departed from there, and he entered the house of a certain man named Justice, who worshipped God, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all of his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Again, notice the success in the ministry despite of the attack of the enemies. Whenever God is at work blessing a ministry, you can expect opposition. All right? And you can expect opposition to increase as well as increased opportunities to serve the Lord. The enemy gets angry when we move into his territory. When we come in and we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and Christ comes in and begins to set men and women free from their bondage of sin. See, Satan wants to keep them in bondage. He wants to keep them in prison to sin. So he gets angry when you come into his territory and you free his slaves. Just like in Thessalonica and Berea, the unbelieving Jews who rejected the word of God, what did they do? Remember, they stirred up trouble for Paul and the rest of his colleagues. And this hostility uh, is usually proof that, that God is at work and this should encourage us. Hey, you know, if Satan's hassling you and, th- and, and he's bringing interruptions, that encourage, should encourage you because you know, hey, Satan doesn't like what's going on here. And that should encourage us to keep on going. Jewish opposition forced Paul to leave here. It says, okay, says they didn't want him. He says he was going to move on and he's going to preach to the Gentiles. So that's what he did. It, they forced Paul to leave uh, Thessalonica and Berea and to go into Corinth and only made him dig in deeper. To get the job done. Two interesting Old Testament images are found in verse 6 here. He said to shake out one's garments. Now to shake out one's garments was an act of judgment. It was like saying you had your chance but now it's over. I came to preach the gospel. You don't want it. I'm done. I'm moving on. Today we might say well we're washing our hands of a situation. And even though Paul never stopped witnessing to the Jews... Remember, his primary calling was to evangelize, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, the second thing was here, to have blood on your, own, to have blood on your hands is what he said to these who, who, who came hostile against the gospel. He said, you have blood on your hands. That means you're responsible for another's death because you were not faithful to warn him. You see, all of us are watchmen and we are to warn those that don't know Christ. We're to warn them of the coming doom. We're to warn them about salvation, tell them about salvation, and warn them about hell and eternity. The idea comes from the watchman on the walls whose job it was to stay alert and to warn of coming danger. In Ezekiel, there would be these watchmen on the wall, and they'd be looking out into the, you know, out into the, the, the area in front of them. And if they saw enemies approaching, they were to, to, to warn the people that, that the enemy was coming. And that's the picture where we are those watchmen. Listen to it as it's read in Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. Ezekiel said to God, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but 
His blood I will require at your hand. Yet, if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity. But you have, been, but you have uh, delivered your soul. Again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die, because you did not give him warning. He shall die in his sin, and his righteousness, which he has done, shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man that the righteous should not sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning. Also, you will have delivered your souls. We have been given a message, an important message, to to give to men to save their souls from hell. Now, if we tell them, and they just say, that's all right, forget it, or whatever that is, they, they reject it, and they die in their sins, and they end up in hell, you, if you didn't warn them, God will require, you know, will hold you responsible. How? I don't know. But it says their blood is on your hands. But if we share the gospel with somebody and they, and they receive Christ and they turn from their wicked ways and we've done what we're supposed to do. And so, again, we are watchmen. And that's what Paul was doing. He was being the watchman. But to have blood on your head means, to have it on your hands is one thing, but to have blood on your head means you're to blame for your own judgment. You had the chance to be saved, but you turned it down. You rejected it for whatever your reason was. You know, the blood is on your own head. It's your own doing. You've condemned yourself. Paul said his hands were innocent. He said, of the blood of all men, because I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God Acts 20 verse 26 Paul said man I I am free I am I've done what God has called me to do I did not I did not keep from telling you the whole counsel of God the Jews have their own blood on their own heads because they rejected God's truth and by doing so they condemned themselves now Paul's associates we read here they baptized most of the new believers the new converts just like the Lord's disciples did when he ministered on earth. The important thing is this the believers obedience to the Lord. All right that's the impo- you know when you get saved what's important is that you obey and you follow the Lord. It's not about the person who led you to the Lord it's not about the pastor it's not about anybody else. It's the important thing is that your obedience to the Lord your obedience to him. Not the name of the minister who does the baptizing, whoever it might be. To walk by faith means to see opportunities even when there's opposition all around you. Look for those opportunities. No matter how, what your environment is, how hostile it might be, look for opportunities to glorify God, to serve Him. Paul didn't close his eyes to many of the dangers and the difficulties he saw in Corinth. Again, it was a hard place. But he looked at them, he looked at those difficulties, and he looked at those dangers through the eyes of God. Why? Because all things are possible with God. Faith simply means obeying God's will in spite of your feelings, in spite of the circumstances, and in spite of the consequences. There never was an easy place to serve God. And if there is an easy place, it's possible that something's wrong, and it's possible that you're not in the right place. Listen to what G. Campbell Morgan said. He said, If you have no adversaries, you better move out and find the places where you get them. 
Most people don't invite opposition, but the loyal servant of Christ will not run from it. Paul reminded Timothy, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will, will suffer persecution, 2 Timothy 3.12. Francis Bacon wrote this, prosperity is the blessing of the Old Testament, adversity is the blessing of the New. Paul did not let adversity stop him from serving God. Then in verses 9 through 11, we have the third area of encouragement, the presence of the Lord. Remember, you have the presence of the Lord. Look at verses 9 through 11. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Notice, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. For I am with you, Jesus said, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Again, notice how Jesus came to Paul and said, Paul, don't be afraid. I am with you. Continue the work. Our Lord Jesus knows exactly what to say at exactly the right time when we need it the most. His words, do not be afraid. We find that many times in the scriptures. Do not be afraid can, can give us peace. It can calm our hearts no matter what's going on around us. And we have many instances, like I said, in God's presence, of God's presence with his people in Scripture, in Genesis, uh, several places in Genesis, in Second Chronicles, in Daniel, in Luke, uh, two places in Luke. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says this, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, Jesus, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Isaiah 41.10 Fear not, for I am with you, said God. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And the next time that you feel alone and defeated, meditate on Isaiah 43, 1 through 7 and claim by faith the presence of the Lord because he is with you. Listen to 43, 1 through 7 of Isaiah. It says, but, but now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by, my, by your name. You are mine. And through the rivers, though the, though they, uh, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in your place. And since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored, and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. Fear not, for I am with you, and I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. What a wonderful passage. Jesus had already appeared to Paul once on the road to Damascus. Paul would be encouraged by him again when he was in prison in Jerusalem and later on in Rome. Our Lord's angel would also appear to Paul in the midst of a storm in chapter 27 in Acts, one of my favorite chapters in the book of Acts. 
So Paul would be, Jesus would appear to him in the midst of the storm and give him a word of assurance for the passengers of the crew. He said, Paul, not, not anybody on this ship will, get, will be lost or hurt. And they were going through a terrific storm on their way to Malta. One of our Lord's names is Emmanuel. And, and you know, we, we sing a lot at Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. And he lives up to his name. So Paul was encouraged not only by, by, by Christ's presence, but also by his promises. Jesus assured Paul that nobody would be hurt and that he would bring many, many sinners to Christ. And then lastly, in, in verses 12 through 17, we have the next encouragement for Paul. His enemies were frustrated. His enemies were frustrated. Verses 12 through 17. When Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names in your own law, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. So the Jews were coming against Saul, who were coming against Saul. Man, they were upset. They were frustrated and angry as more and more people were getting saved. Finally, as a last resort, they tried to get the Roman authorities to stop Paul's preaching. Here we see God's protection during Paul's ministry in Corinth. The unbelieving Jews thought that, that the arrival of a new proconsul, hey, might say that, that, that this new Christian cult is illegal. So, you know, they, they, you know he's, he's thinking they, they broke the law. All right, uh, uh, the Roman law. And so, you know, we're going to take him to the proconsul and, and try to get him charged and, you know, to get him to stop preaching. But they broke the law. The Jews broke the law by attacking Paul and forcing him to go to court. And this wasn't the first time that, that these, these fanatical Jewish men, the leaders, tried to prove Paul was breaking Roman law. But Paul was a Roman citizen. So being a Roman citizen, Paul was prepared to defend himself. But... He didn't have to. Why? Because Gallio defended Paul here. Gallio saw right away what the real issue was. They weren't breaking. Paul wasn't breaking Roman law. The problem was the interpreting of the Jewish religion. So, uh, so, so Gallio said, hey, this, is, this isn't something that has to do with me. This hasn't anything to do with the, with the Roman law. Your problem is, is that you are upset with his interpretation of your law. But the opposition didn't stop there. The Greeks who are watching what was going on, they grabbed a hold of Sosthenes, the man who replaced Crispus as the ruler of the synagogue, and they beat him right in front of Gallio. But he just, you know, he just turned away and, and didn't, didn't look. How wonderful, though, are the providences of God. The Jews tried to force the Roman proconsul to say the Christian faith was illegal. But Gallio ended up doing just the opposite and say, hey, you take care of this show and I'm not going to deal with it. Verses 18 through, 20, 18 through 23, we, some, we see the breaking of some old habits. Verses 20, um, 18 through 23. 
So Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Centria, for he had taken a vow. And he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay a little longer or stay a longer time with them, he did not consent, but he took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this feast in Jerusalem, but I will return to you again, God willing. And he sailed uh, from Ephesus. And when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. After he had spent some time there, he departed and he went over the, the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. The vow that Paul took was probably a Nazarite vow. It was a special vow of separation and devotion to God. And it ended with shaving his head and offering his hair uh, as, a, as a blessing or a sacrifice. Then after he crossed the Aegean Sea, they sailed east, and Paul and his party, they then came to Ephesus. Paul left Priscilla and Aquila there to, uh, to, uh, to get settled and to establish their business. They stayed in Ephesus for a few years. They had a church meet in their own home, and eventually they went back to Rome. So as Paul's custom was, remember we've seen it before, his custom was he would enter the synagogues in the area and he would preach the gospel. He would reason with the Jews. And just like in Berea, he was well received. So the Jews asked him to stay longer. But he refused to stay because he was serious about his vow. He was apologetic that he couldn't stay. But he had this vow. He made this vow and he kept that vow. Another great example of of how important it is to keep our promises, our vows to God. But Paul apologetically said, you know what, man, I can't stay. I got to keep this vow. But you know what? If God is willing, I'll be back. I'll come back. And then he sailed from Ephesus. He, but he did not leave the city without a Christian witness. Priscilla and Aquila stayed there. And then Paul landed at Caesarea, the Roman city, and port for travelers, and he headed for Jerusalem. And from there, he went on to fulfill his vow and then to greet the church. And then Paul completed his second missionary journey in Antioch, the place where it all started. Paul's burning desire to reach the lost world for Jesus Christ did not let him stay long in his home church at Antioch. And after spending some time there, he left and he passed through the Galatian area of Phrygia and they strengthened all the disciples that were there. So with those words, Luke, he starts the story of Paul's third missionary journey. But before continuing with the the record of that, that mission, he returns to tell us about what took place at Ephesus after Paul left. And he tells the story of Apollos. Look at verses 24 through 28 in closing. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and he taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross Achaia, the brethren wrote, 
exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. So what, what takes place in verses 23, uh, 24 through 28 happened after Paul left Ephesus and before he returned in 19 verse 1. During this interval, a church had been started probably under the influence of Aquila and Priscilla. And to this church, this church that, that probably again founded by Priscilla and Aquila, this gifted young man, this gifted Apollos from Alexandria in northern Africa came to visit. And as a Jew, Apollos knew the Old Testament scriptures really well. And his doctrine about Jesus Christ was accurate. All right, what he spoke was accurate, but it was incomplete. Which probably means that Apollos didn't know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He knew about John's baptism, which symbolized cleansing by, uh, by God because of repentance towards God. But Aquila and Priscilla... They were definitely excited to see the fervency, the, the, the fire of this man and the eloquence of Apollos. So after learning how well-versed Apollos was in the scriptures, rather than publicly correcting Apollos and maybe embarrassing him, Priscilla and Aquila, they, they invite him to their home. And, and in their home, they explain to Apollos the way of the Lord more accurately. In other words, they took him aside and they told him about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the power of God's Holy Spirit that was available to believers. And here's the neat thing, and again, another example for all Christians to follow, all of us, no matter where we are in the Lord, no matter what position we might hold in ministry or whatever, Apollos was open to receiving instruction. Now, many times over the years, I've heard people, oh, I've read the Bible so many times and I know what it says. Well, you, you may know some of what it says, but you don't know all of it. I don't think in a lifetime or even in eternity, we'd be able to understand the, the, the infinite wisdom of God's word. And you know, what? We, we should never close ourselves off to learning. You know, you may have been a Christian for, for, for 40 years, you know, and, and some Christian that might be, you know, five or ten years in the Lord, don't look down on them. You know, God has given us each other to share with one another, to learn from one another, to grow from one another, our experiences. You know, and we're, we're to all help each other. We're to, we're to lift each other up. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. So we always need to be open to instruction, and that's what Paulo shows us here. He was open to instruction from this, this husband and wife team. It takes a humble person to stay teachable. We should always want to always learn. We should want to keep learning. You know, even though we might know the scripture. But like Apollos, it says he was eloquent, he was mighty in spirit, he was fervent, he knew the scriptures, but you know, he wanted to know more. We want to grow. And we're encouraged to grow in the grace and the knowledge of God. But you know, when you, when you stop learning, you stop growing. And when you stop growing, you're going to start to die. We need to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Beautiful example here by Apollos. So again, he was willing to know more about the scriptures. And now, with this new doctrine though, Apollos, you know, he's even 
more able to, to preach the gospel. All right, with this new doctrine, Apollos crosses the Aegean Sea. He goes to Achaia, probably in Corinth, where it says he was used mightily. He was used mightily. He vigorously refuted the Jews. Notice what it says in verse 24, showing from the scriptures. And this is another thing we need to know. When we share the word of God, when we, when we share the gospel, we, we, we need to show it from the scriptures why we believe what we believe. Not, well, this is what I believe and this is, you know, what I, 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 you know, this is what I know. And you know, as, as long as it's from the scripture, that's fine. But show, showing it from the scriptures, picking it up and going, the Bible says, right here, the Bible says, you're giving him the foundation for why you believe, the basis for what you believe, that, G, that, that Jesus is the Messiah because the Bible says he is. Apollos ministered for a while to the church in Corinth and where his learning and eloquence attracted the attention of the people. You know, and it's sad that, that a clique gathered around him later on. Remember, you know, Paul said, oh, some are of Peter, some of are Apollos. And, and again, that happens a lot because people begin to, to look at the, at the person you know, and to gather around the person, then the person of Jesus Christ. You want to point people to Jesus. Not to somebody, not to the pastor. You want to point them to Jesus. Because he's the one who saved them. He's the one who's going to take care of them. He's the one who's going to lead them. But again, they, they gathered around teachers and, and, and those that, you know, later on in Corinth. And, and that helped to bring division to the church. Because he was definitely one of Paul's friends and a, and a, and a trusted helper. But again, uh, that, that picking you know, and choosing leaders. Well, you know, I, I, this is the pastor. This is I go to this church and I go to... Hey, we're all one in Christ. Regardless of the church, is, the, the gospel is what we're to focus you know, our attention on. So again, um, <clears throat> Paul was... was a gifted preacher and you know he you know, and, and so was apollos and and many we see in the scriptures not all of the work of a minister or a missionary is drudgery all right it can be sometimes because it's hard it's work but it's there's nothing more rewarding it's not always a setback it's not it doesn't always involve suffering and chapter 18 here is that is is that example chapter 18 here is a success story because it shows us victories. It shows us victories in key cities. And also the addition of exciting new leaders like Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos. It shows those to the church. So we need to rejoice in the victories that Christ brings. And, and don't let the threat of danger. Or setback. Or hard times. Or threats create a negative outlook. That's a given. The Bible makes it clear. That's a given. There is going to be hostility against the work of God. There is going to be hostility against the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can expect that. And, but we also have, as chapter 18 shows us, we also have the encouragements to move forward. And so may that be what we focus on and not the negative, but the positives of the word of God and the examples in God's word. Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful lesson, God, and we thank you for the encouragement that you give us, Lord. And Father, help us to focus on those encouragements, God, and not the discouragements like we so often do. 
So many times we look at the circumstances, God, and, and the circumstances are those nasty little things, God, that we focus on and become so big to us that we can't see the, the, the glory of God because we allow the circumstances to overwhelm us and to overshadow the great glory of Jesus Christ. So, Father, may you bless our time. Father, as Pastor Tony comes to lead us in communion, Lord, may you minister to us to your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor Tony.